0: Welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series, now the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to leadership. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your host and interviewer each week. I'm also the author of the recent release, Master Mentor's 30 Transformative Insights from Your Greatest Minds, where I drew from our first 30 or so guests and shared a different insight from each of them. And now I'm on to Volume 2, Master Mentor's 30 New Insights from 30 New Guests, available now, on Amazon, all major book retailers. On now to Master Mentors, Volume 3. Today is the business titan, the intellectual, the number one best-selling author, Ray Dalio, who has authored a new book called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. He is the number one New York Times best-selling author of the book Principles by the Same Name, about life and work. Ray, welcome to On Leadership.
1: Thank you, I'm- Really thrilled to be here.
0: Such an honor, Ray. You've become a household name. Obviously, your your reputation is primarily that in the financial business. You are the founder of the world's largest hedge fund. You are reported to have a net worth that exceeds the collective three ages of my youngest boys. I mention that not because that's relevant today other than your prowess and understanding you know, geo-global political issues, understanding macro-micro-economic markets. And today we're going to talk a lot about what you see as the future of really what is the world order and perhaps even the changing world order, which is the title of your masterpiece book that requires someone multiple weeks to read because this is the kind of book where you read two or three pages, you sit down and you absorb it, you think about it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to get in.
1: More important than the book is... um, There's a uh, video that I put out. It's a free YouTube video um, called The Changing World Order. It's an animated video, very entertaining. Um, It was put out a month ago. It's got uh, 12 million views, so it's hot. It is an easy, digestible summary of what I'm trying to get across, the message I'm trying to get across in uh, that uh, book or study that I did. So now you
0: tell me, I read your 528- page word book, but I could have watched the video. Thanks a lot, Ray. (laughs) But I
1: could, could, yes, you could have watched the videos. Tell me what you think. I hope it wasn't too painful.
0: I think the book is a masterpiece. You've changed the way I parent, the way I think, the way I lead, not to mention you actually wrote your first book around um, principles. You actually illustrated and wrote a, a children's version. We have three copies of it, one for each of our three boys who are eight, 10, and 12, the children's book is a masterpiece. I wanna get into your, your work, but Ray, why are you so passionate about youth education? Obviously you're translating books and audios and things like that. What's the passion there?
1: I'm, I'm 72 years old. I'm at a phase in my life where uh, the most important thing I could do is pass along whatever it is that's been, that I have that's of value. And um, I learned a long time ago, um, whether it's the young, young people or adults, I learned about writing down principles for dealing with each of the situations that I faced. Basically what I would do is I'd encounter my realities and I would reflect, what does that tell me about how reality works and what are the principles I should deal d- use for dealing with that reality and I'd write it down. And I built a collection of those and I wanna pass it along because there are circumstances that people face that help. And I wish everybody did that. You have 30 great leaders that you just mentioned uh, that you've interviewed. Wouldn't it be great if they all just wrote down those principles? And that's basically what you're doing when you're passing along their key principles for, for the book that you've mentioned. So I want to pass that along because I'm at an age where uh, that's the most important thing I could do. I think that was your offer to
0: be featured in Master Mentors, Volume Three. Did I get that right on camera?
1: (laughs) Let's talk. Uh, um, uh, Again, free, clear, pass it along. It's my joy.
0: Thank you, Ray. Ray, you are the founder of Bridgewater Associates. It's the world's largest hedge fund. For those few people, including those who are watching and and, um, viewing this interview, deconstruct for us just what a hedge fund is and why should people care?
1: Well, it basically means that I, I'm a global macro investor that. What that means is I invest in all the liquid markets in the world. Um, and I can decide to do that as a, um, bet on them going up or as short sales and bet on them going down. And that's what I've done for 47 years. And that's what Bridgewater does. So it has the freedom to invest anywhere in the world from a long or short basis, meaning betting that whether it'll go up or down.
0: Ray, for the next half an hour or so, we're gonna talk a lot about financial issues, geopolitical issues, the future of the U.S. and the rise and fall of great uh, powers like that of the Dutch and of the the, the British and and so on and so forth. I wanna start with what I think is one of the premises of your book. I'm gonna read a passage and have you maybe riff on it. You say, I believe that the reason people typically miss the big moments of evolution coming at them in life is because they experience only tiny pieces of what's happening. We are like ants preoccupied with our jobs of carrying crumbs and our very brief lifetimes instead of having a broader perspective of the big picture patterns and cycles, the, importance, the important interrelated things driving them, where they are within the cycles, and what it's like to transpire what's likely to transpire. It's a big, bold statement. It's so true, I've thought about it dozens of times since reading the book. Talk about the premise of the book and why it's so important to not just look at things that are happening in our life, but things that have happened over, you know, really humankind.
1: Um, Yeah, Um, as I was explaining that basically um, many of the things that we're surprised about um, didn't happen in our lifetimes before. So I learned this. I'm a practical man who has to bet on what's going to happen. That's my job. That's what it has been for 47 years. And I learned many times that things that were happening to me happened prior to my lifetime. Because there's an arc, you know? How often does it take, does one get a pandemic? How often does one get many things? A war, um, a revolution, a civil war, or many, many things. They, the lifetime takes about 150 years, some of these cycles, the rise and decline of an empire. They take 150 years. So we're surprised when they come along. A depression, Um, I learned that that needs the pattern. And so what I did this time, there were three big things that are happening in our lifetimes that never happened before. And I needed to study them. And those three things are Uh, the creation of an enormous amount of debt and the printing of money to finance that debt. That's producing an inflation, that's producing all the consequences that we're seeing today, that's one. Related to that is um, internal conflict. Um, We have uh, large wealth gaps, large values gaps, and we can see that we're producing very large political gaps, such large political gaps that we may have irreconcilable differences. Those types of conflicts, those types of gaps uh, of the left, of the right, that populism that's happening uh, didn't happen in our lifetimes before. You have to go back to prior periods to see that. And the third great thing, big thing that's happening is um, the changing world order in the form of the rise of a great power, a powerful China that is a comparable power to the United States. I want to measure things through statistics, but a comparable size. And they are challenging a system, we are having a, uh, that is the world order we call it, that began in 1945 when the United States uh, won the war and was the most powerful. These three things coming together, each one of them The last time you have to um, look at them was in the 1930 to 45 period. That was the last time that any one of them happened like this. But when they all three happened together, that's important. So you're seeing conflicts, internal conflicts, conflicts over money and conflicts internationally. And you're seeing the changes in relative power. And I needed to study that. So that's why I wanted to study the cycles starting uh, 500 years ago. 500 years ago sounds like um, a long time, but in order to understand really what's happening this year, next year and so on, I needed to understand those patterns and that's what I'm passing along.
0: So let's go deeper into that because by by discipline, by curiosity, you become a historian. Your book is titled, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. I wanna share a passage from your book again you said, from examining all these cases across empires and across time, I saw that the great empires typically lasted roughly 250 years, give or take 150 years, with big economic debt and political cycles within them lasting between 50 and 100 years. One of the things I learned from your book was that if you look at the patterns, you know, the Dutch, if you will, had a large run of perhaps 250 years, and there was the British, and now it's the Americans, and If my math is right, uh, 2022 minus 1776 puts America at about 246 years. Now, I know I'm kind of simplifying a real complex idea, but what do you see as the future of American power, economic might, uh, democracy with the rise of China? We've read that one of China's interests is to prove that democracy is wrong and isn't the right form of government. You've been to China for you know, dozens of times, nearly 40 years. You've studied all the dynasties there. Riff, for as long as you'd like on where you see the future of American power sustaining or perhaps declining.
1: Um, first of all, I want to say that um, while there are arcs in time um, and rises and declines and patterns, more important than that is seeing the cause-effect relationships of what causes an empire to rise and decline and uh, seeing that those factors can be measured. For example, education, level of education, do you have a competitive advantage in education and how broad it is. Um, whether you're spending more money than you're earning, like for countries, like for individuals, their income statements and their balance sheets show how financially healthy they are um you can see it in terms of military power you all of these things are measurable and so this the cycle um also is a reflection of the health so today we can measure and it's shown in the the, uh, the book uh for all the major countries uh, we have a health index and you could see how strong are you educationally how much internal conflict? How strong financially it is? So we have 18 measures of health, and those determine the future, like a human health. And so, if if they're improving, we're going to get stronger. And if we're not, and it, what it shows is weakening. It uh, this I just want to pass it along. Financially weakening, the decline of um, infrastructure, for example. Uh, we're passing the next generation a lot of debt the the military the relative military power is not what it was so if you look at the united states at the end of world war ii that's always when a new order begins as a war the winners of the war determine the new world order how the system is going to work and then um and and because the united states then had 80 percent of the world's money which then was gold and it had accounted for half the world's GDP, and we had a monopoly on military power, nuclear, it, be, it set the rules, and it began the American world order. And that um, that's why the United Nations is in New York. That's why the IMF and the World Bank are in Washington, D.C. Over that period of time, you can see an arc, you, and, uh, and you can see it really... I won't tell the whole arc because that'll take too long, but you can see um, where we are in terms of the amount of debt creation and money and the amount of GDP growth and all of that. So we're seeing that, uh, for example, China, um, since I started going to China in 1984, per capita income has increased by 26 times. Um, The technology and the various measures, the military, all of the statistics, has shown that China has become now a comparable power and that the United States doesn't have the same uniqueness in any of those powers, in military power and economic power and so on. That's just a reality that we have to look at. Um, So we see that emerging. No, my contact is not that they want to disprove our system. It's that um, they, um, they're very practical people. And they have achieved you know, a lot. And so they have a different system. And so they view that as a competition of systems. But because there's no world court and so on, these competitions can um, be tests of power. They're typically tests of power. And that's the issue. So the most important thing for any country is to be strong, that's it. If you're strong and you're well in all of those ways, um, you'll be fine. Um, the concerns are in a number of these areas, in 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 education, in cohesiveness. We are fighting with each other and um, in, in, in increasing extremes. Um, politically extremes, but values. So there's a good chance in maybe the next presidential election or before that neither side accepts losing. Um, and there's a question in terms of following the rules. Um, this is now more of a power competition that it exists. And you can see it all around. Um, for example, um, it, or just recently in Florida with Disney in the state um, and the governor um there is you know it's 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 more now an antagonism internally um you could see it with the um, supreme court decision you can see that conflict you could see it in the form of people moving from one place to another and so it's that picture that uh is important to see and to pass along um and and i'm a practical man i have to be it's in my it's my job so I have to th- see things as accurately as I can and convey the pictures as accurately as I can so that I can you know, help people see that I would make my own good decisions. That, those shifts are shown in many charts in the book and you'll, or the video, the quick video, <laughs> um, the animated video. You'll see the charts and then to be aware of that and then to be aware of how to deal with that. That's what I'm trying to pass along. Again, so, yeah, just now you is. tell me
0: there's a video. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> uh, Ray, so many places I could go with that. Uh, first of all, everybody clearly watch the video. I'll be doing it after this interview today. And read Ray's book for kids. It's a great education for kids. I'm a great uh, evangelist of your, uh, of your child's book. Uh, Ray, what's happening? What's the outcome of what's going to happen with the Russian war in Ukraine? We're not, we're not a political program. This is not a news program. It's a leadership podcast. Is there going to be a vacuum of leadership in the world? I mean, is China watching the US? The US is watching China? India is involved or not involved? What do you think is going to be the outcome of when the dust settles, hopefully quickly, with the Russian war in Ukraine? How is that going to change the world
1: order? We don't have leadership anymore because leadership comes uh, from somebody being in the position of having a dominant power and producing leadership. So your podcast is about leadership. And if we look at the the world, there's not a dominant leader anymore. Um, and so that produces greater conflict, greater, um, challenging each other. And so that's the picture that you're seeing now you're seeing a challenge of, uh, greater powers. So, um, There has not been an escalation in the war yet of um, Russia. But um, so right now there's a ground war and we watch it on television every day and we see the latest episodes. But if we step back from that and you look at the world as a whole, um, you see that reality uh, in terms of not dominant leadership and uh, challenging. Uh, all around. So, in 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 the Ukraine and Russia, this is the first time we're having a conflict with a um, a really major power. In other words, a military power that's comparable to the United States. Fortunately, as of yet, that that hasn't that conflict hasn't turned to a military conflict between the United States, NATO, and Russia. Because then you're dealing with comparable powers in terms of military powers in various ways. Of course, nuclear is the obvious big concern and big comparable power. But there's also uh, cyber. There's other way, other forms of warfare. Uh, the reality is, maybe the unfortunate reality, is that uh, since the last war, there's been a lot of developments of um technologies of how to do each other harm germ warfare all sorts of things so um, we're now having that kind of conflict it's very difficult to imagine who the winner of this war is going to be and how it's going to transpire because um either uh putin and russia um win or, or they lose um, if they uh, let me define winning uh, winning means that if he gets the control of the eastern part of the Ukraine, if Russia is not economically crippled, in other words, they receive an economic hit, but it's tolerable, if he remains in power, and if he remains on the world stage, such as go to the G20 meeting, um, he will have a, one, a win. And um, and then there, um, there would be a loss. If he doesn't have those things, um then um he would have a loss and but he'll probably escalate so we're this is no longer um uh, a conflict with uh, a more minor power. in other words this is the wars that we've had in the past were with Vietnam um Iraq, Afghanistan, and so on um this is a war of sorts at the brink of a war uh with a um um you know a a a greater military power so that's something that's serious that's something that is a serious dilemma that we're going to learn a lot more about and it's the nature of the beast right now it's the nature of the world so when you talk of leadership you know what leadership is right leadership means that somebody is in that power to lead and right now the world does not have that existing so there'll be conflicts.
0: It's a sobering assessment. Thank you for your time. I'm mindful of how much time we have left so I'm going to pivot. Ray, you're a legendary investor. Your Bridgewater of course has, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars under advisement you yourself I mentioned have in um, your family have earned lots of money justifiably and your, your 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 reputation is one of course as being maniacally practical as you've said and And uh, and a focus on details. I'm sure focusing on details has been part of your ability to predict the future and to kind of know where the puck is going, so to speak. And however, you write in your book that to see the big picture, you actually can't focus on the details. To the extent I've got that right, talk about from a leadership capability standpoint, how important is it to kind of, you know, clutch and gas on the big picture and the details because leaders can't leave the details unaddressed. Sometimes the devil is in the details. Talk about that balance between big picture thinking and also occasionally micromanagement on the details.
1: Um, uh, I'm lucky in um, being able to speak with the greatest leaders, leaders of countries, leaders of businesses and so on. And I gave a personality profile test to many leaders. Um, I gave it to um, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, um uh, um um the founder of uh Netflix Reed hastings um many many uh, people and there are uh qualities that are unique uh to those um the personality profile test is also by the way free it's called principles you um and it'll tell you a lot about yourself and if you read it about others principles you go online it's free and a, and it's powerful well I gave that type of test to those people. And the one thing that was about them, that, there were many, but one of the qualities was the capacity to both see the big picture and go down in detail. When um, in the early days, when uh, Elon Musk um, first built the first Tesla, um, he let me drive his car. and um, and And I met him in SpaceX. Um, so here it is, SpaceX, he's going to the moon, he's, and, and that's his goal. I come in there, he, and he um, lets me, um, he uh, says, go drive my car. Um, and he gives me the key. And, uh, and he points out the details, the details of how you push this button, and the trunk opens, and this and that. So the great leaders have a capacity to go full range. They pay attention, they can go to the big picture and then they can and then go down to the detail and they can do that well. That's one of the great qualities. You need both.
0: Ray, our chairman, our executive chairman, Bob Whitman is authoring a book now for Simon & Schuster on behalf of Franklin Covey called The Eight Moments of Truth. And he's co-writing that book with Karen Dillon, who is the former editor of the Harvard Business Review and author of many best-selling books her own. And they're interviewing legendary leaders, people like yourself, business titans, to talk about what their moments of truth are. They're gonna actually interview you in a couple of weeks for the book as well. As you think about your moments of truth in life, you've had, you know, you've had and lost billions of dollars and recovered it again. Your family has suffered personal tragedies, unspeakable tragedies. You've seen it all. You've experienced, unfortunately, highs and lows. From that, what are some of your moments of truth? What are you crystal clear about in life?
1: Um, uh, You know, life comes at you and it gives you things. And then um, what I learned is pain plus reflection equals progress. So what I learned uh, is that um, you're dealing with reality. And, and so when you have a painful experience, it tells you something about how reality works and also how you should deal with reality when the next one of those comes along. And so that's what I learned. Um, so I could tell you uh, you know, examples. Maybe that would take too long. But um, yes, that is... That's your reality. You'll encounter it. Don't wish life was different. It, life is is life. It is what it is. And um, how does it work? What are the cause effect relationships? What's it telling you about how it works? And then, um, what are your reflections about how you should deal with it? Well, to get what you want, those are practical principles. So yes, I've it's changed my attitude a lot about. Um, the good and the bad. Um, I now look at um, like a, um, uh, a, a a learning opportunity. Uh, whenever there's um, a, a pain plus reflection equals progress or even the highs. P- people learn more realistically from uh, the painful experiences. Yeah. Those are the teachers. What would I do differently in the future? And so what I learned is like if I can reflect on a painful experience, um, like it's a puzzle, and I solve the puzzle, I will get a gem. And that gem will be a principle that I literally will write down. Those are what my books are about. They're literally the principles I learned for dealing with those circumstances. And that gem, so that gem will help me. And I think that that's what life is like.
0: Ray, give us some practical leadership advice. Bridgewater did not become the world's largest hedge fund by accident. You are notorious, I think in a good way, for running a rigorous uh, uh, style of communication and question asking uh, in, in your meetings. What leadership advice could you give someone who perhaps is managing a team for the first time? They're in their 20s or 30s and they have two or three employees and perhaps they're running a multinational company or everything in between. Give us two or three leadership tips that you think could build someone's legacy, build their personal career, their, their, their personal wealth, if they follow some of these principles?
1: Well, uh, I want to say that in one sentence, uh, the culture that I built um, is here's the sentence. It's a long sentence an idea meritocracy. And what I, what I mean by that is the best ideas win we out. An idea meritocracy in which the goals are meaningful work and meaningful relationships through radical truthfulness and radical transparency. What I mean is there's a great power to have meaningful work and meaningful relationships together. It's the reward and it makes it work well. Meaningful work means um, you're on a mission together to do great things, to win, to um, do great things. So you feel that. And, you, and the meaningful work um, gets excellent work done. And the meaningful relationships uh, like you're in it together and that you share each other's lives um, is very important. And to do that with radical truthfulness and radical transparency, radical truthfulness means that you can say honestly what you think with each other and work out. Um, that not this um, political environment in which you don't say the things that you're thinking, you know, in other words, so many environments are phony people come in and they, uh, you know, they give each other a high five and whatever. And then they go and talk about each other behind each other's backs and there's politics that's unproductive. So by having uh, that radical truthfulness and radical transparency, um, I I made uh, certain things like uh, everything was um, uh, taped for everybody to listen to, so that there wasn't behind the scenes stuff. So if you do that, those things that you have the the, the excellent work and the excellent relationships, you can you can have. Um, I believe in tough love. Uh, tough love means uh, that you care about the other person, and you're in it together. But it's like the Navy SEALs, maybe use that as an example, to be tough with each other, to be excellent together, to know that if that the toughness comes with also the love and that, you know, and the love is uh, that tough love makes you better. So I think every organization has a culture. You're going to have a culture and your culture will define your organization and you have to choose your culture. You have to choose it. And you have to be explicit. So it was very important to me to write down uh, for everybody in my company. Um, from um, I started with two people. I've got a two-bedroom apartment. Um, I started with a guy I played rugby with and somebody who helped us. And it then became a 1,500-person company, according to Forbes, the fifth most important private company in the United States. And that journey always meant that, that same culture. And I had to find a way to do it. And I found that by encountering my realities and showing my encounters with those realities and writing down my principles so that everybody in the company could understand that, that that helped me. So those are the things I'd pass along. If you can have the the meaningful work and meaningful relationships, you will be successful and you will have a rich life. Rich not just in money, but rich more importantly in the relationships that you have. You'll be successful in that, and if you um, do that in a way where you know you can have that radical truthfulness and transparency, that tough love, um, it'll keep you excellent. It's the reason you know I, I gave the example of the Navy SEALs, but that perpetual excellence—that's what lasts.
0: Who knew we would get a masterclass TED talk on leadership from Ray? That was beautifully said, Ray. What are you encouraged about in the world of? you know, strife and conflict and potential nuclear war and economic meltdowns. And it seems like, you know,
1: instability. What are, what are, you, what are you hopeful for? Well, we have now the world, um, the most resources that we've ever had, the greatest life expectancy that we've ever had, more output per capita than we have ever had. And we have a tremendous capacity to adapt and evolve. And so, um, if we can step back and can reflect, and and I think that we're in an era of inventiveness uh, that can raise living standards, if we don't fight with each other, if we can deal with that correctly and 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 or be be good with each other, the capacity for us to make a better future is greater than ever. Particularly, even as um, t- um, we have assistance in how we think when we're even dealing with artificial intelligence and the changes look at how the pandemic uh, brought about the vaccines so quickly. So I'm optimistic about man's capacity to adapt and evolve. um, And, um, and at the same time, I worry about uh, the financial conditions and I worry about the conflict. So my hope and my optimism comes from uh, reflecting. I have a, um, a principle uh, related to this. If you worry, you don't have to worry. And if you don't worry, you need to worry. <laughs> because if you worry, then you will prevent the things you're worrying about. And if you don't worry, those things might happen. So at this point, my hope is that by passing along this picture, this accurate picture, I hope it's measured, you judge it by watching the video. Um, that if you're passing along that picture, It will produce worry, but that's okay, because that will maybe produce a better future because we have the capacity within us and the resources to make the future better.
0: Thank you, Ray. On a much lighter note, I can't help but wonder about that small metal bowl behind you. Is it like Qing dynasty? Is it the Ming dynasty? What's going on with those artifacts behind you back there? Can you see those? This? Yeah, there's a little, yeah, there's, behind that, there's a little bull, there's a little bull back there. Was that from Sotheby's? Tell us about that.
1: No, 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 I, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Was it 80 million,
0: Ray? No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding, <This> sir. <laughs> Ray, tell us about the video again, and what's next for you?
1: Um, well, I told you about the video enough times, probably. What's the um, name? Remind us
0: for- the name of the video.
1: The Changing World Order on YouTube. Thank you.
0: And what's next for you?
1: Well, I'm in a phase of my life. I'm 72 years old and I'm at a phase in my life um, where um, what's next for me is to savor life, to pass along the things that have been valuable to me um, and to um, um, savor the exciting things, but also savor particularly my family and my grandkids. I'm lucky to have grandkids. And then I, you know, evolve toward the end of life. Will we see some more books coming from you? One more um, on economic and investment principles. But I, it, I'm, I'm, that won't happen probably for another year, year and a half, and then I'll, I'll be done.
0: Ray, our time is ending. Can you share with us finally, what do you think your legacy will be?
1: Well, my, my, I view the word legacy as the gift of passing to the next generation. Um, and, um, I'm hoping, um, the most valuable things that I have to offer are these, um, this principles or this approach. Um, in other words, you learn a skill, uh, better to teach a man how to fish than to give them a fish. So I, I hope I'll pass that along then. And then it'll disappear. We all disappear. Like, you know, footprints in the sand, um, it'll disappear. I hope I can pass that along. Um, and then also passing along, um, philanthropically, uh, some, um, this is an important thing for me that I've been doing for a while, um, to pass along, um, what I have, uh, financially. And, um, and that's what it is when you leave, you know, you leave and you don't take anything with you. And so that's what I hope that I'm passing along. Um, some abilities and some approach to life related to principles and uh, the wealth uh, that I've created.
0: Ray, a very generous investment of your time today. Arguably, this book could be required reading for every undergraduate student in America in the world. The book is Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Why Nations Succeed and Fail. Ray, thank you again for your time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And we will see you back here next week for another conversation on leadership.